0: Blob Talk Radio Good afternoon from hot, sunny and unbelievably humid Florida It ain't the heat, it's the humidity It was awful this morning Worse this afternoon, but here I sit Dr. Simon doing my show, The Stories We Live By in a comfortable air-conditioned room Uh, I don't think Florida would have more than 50 people have moved down from the north without the advent of air conditioning. Today I have an interesting show to do, I think, uh, and it's complex. The structure of it is a little complex. So what I want to do is introduce uh, uh, the the topic is from an op-ed editorial in this Sunday, past Sunday's New York Times, entitled It's Not Just a Chemical Imbalance, by uh, Kelly Maria Korduki, or Korducki, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, who lists herself as a writer. And a writer she is. She writes very, very well. Um, And the article is quite an interesting one. And what I'd like to do is sort of uh, make it an empty chair discussion. The first part of this, somebody called before and I accidentally disconnected them. Uh, somebody from Pennsylvania. If they hear this, call back. I, I want you online. Uh, you can become part of the conversation in a while after I've set this up. Uh, because I have a number of topics that I have done many, many times before on my show. And in fact, I realize I haven't done a show since the beginning of May. Time goes very fast when you get older, uh, and the older you get, the faster it seems to go, and I've sort of been letting the show go by. Anyway, I want to pretend for a while that I'm a professor again. I want to make this early part of the show somewhat professorial, and that Kelly Maria Korducky is a student uh, to whom I am presenting some material and discussion based upon her article. Okay? Uh, Oh, I'm glad you're back. And anyway, uh, I want to discuss, uh, it's a very important article because for the first time in many years, the idea that mental illness is the result of chemical imbalances is now being attacked not only by patients, but by uh, mainstream people. And I'm surprised and delighted that the New York Times even printed this because the Times tends to try to remain in many ways on this topic mainstream and not particularly uh, uh, take issue with the chemical imbalance, but theory of mental illness. But I want to start uh, in another level, and that is with the whole notion that mental illnesses actually don't exist. If, in fact, the behaviors that make up what we call mental illnesses. And when I came into the field over 50 years ago, good God, how did that happen? Um, there was 25 mental illnesses in the, uh, in the little book that I had on a shelf where I worked. Um, and the only time anybody was considered to have a brain problem, which was then unspoken about. I mean, it wasn't conjectured about chemical imbalances. And given uh, pills or given chemicals, uh, uh, medications as they're called, to, uh, to help them was if they were diagnosed with schizophrenia or very, very serious forms of depression. Everything else was talked through. Right? in a process called psychotherapy. What is interesting about this is that now there are some 500 or so mental illnesses and disorders listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual number 5 issued by the American Psychiatric Association. And more and more of them uh, are to be considered the result of chemical imbalances, now the lack of logic here is enormous because if in fact hearing voices being so depressed you can 't get out of bed, wanting to kill yourself, uh, washing your hands five hundred times uh, uh, without understanding why you do it or be how you can control this, uh, uh, starving yourself uh, and, and, and throwing up your meals, uh, all kinds of behaviors that are in many ways painful to the people with whom the, the, the behavior lives with and even to themselves, behaviors that are disturbing to the public in many ways that can be considered dangerous, that become issues for the police, these things exist, but if in fact we can show that there is a chemical or biological problem, they can't then be called mental illnesses. Okay. Try to grasp that idea, because it's critical to what I'm going to talk about today. Kelly had all kinds of problems that she doesn't really go into. She refers to them as the black dogs, which is a wonderful kind of way of, of being feeling put upon by your own behavior. Um, when, when, when she writes about this, it, she became involved with the psychiatric lingo, and I don't know what the behavior was, so I don't know what diagnoses were given to her. In the 1970s, late 60s and 70s, these wouldn't have been considered by most of us to be the problem of chemical imbalances or neurological disturbances or brain problems, but of early childhood experiences. And I have a lot of training in psychoanalysis, which I have modified and rejected in many ways, because at that time, the only real... Uh, social interactions that were, taken, that were taken seriously that could cause these kinds of mental disturbances, mental illnesses, and they would call that mental illnesses, would be uh, mommy and daddy. Mommy is too strict. Mommy is too seductive. Mommies never did well until the 1970s in psychology when the feminist movement arose. And I won't get into that, but there's been a rebalancing Daddy could be seductive, daddy could be abusive, daddy could be weak and not stand up the mommy. But it was the parents who were always held responsible. Let me read something from Kelly. Uh, uh, She says, the jury is out to the extent to which mental illness is hardwired. But black and white narratives of psychopathology neglect the tremendous psychological impact of social and material circumstances like poverty, not having enough to eat access to basics of of survival, the burdens of intergenerational trauma and insufficient social support systems, the existential gut punch of pervasive injustice. What a wonderful sentence. That's a writer. As a writer myself, I say, gee, I wish I had thought of that sentence. So that we have broadened the view of what could cause mental illness. The problem is, If you look at what she calls the source of many of these problems, which I totally agree with, and from my own experience that is so, they're not illnesses in any strict sense. They would only be illnesses, real illnesses, if they had an underlying biological concept. So what has happened is that those medical doctors called psychiatrists who really formed the basis of the entire field. The early psychoanalysts were all psychiatrists. They were all medical doctors. Psychologists were added after World War II because there weren't enough psychiatrists to try and help those large number of human beings who came back from the industrial slaughter called World War II, who were so transformed by their experiences that they no longer fit in, they couldn't adjust, and they had to be helped, and so they got diagnosed as mentally ill. But the word medical doesn't cover this. So I'm not going to go into right that what I think these abnormal disturbed and disturbing patterns of behavior and some of them are not so abnormal they're just hidden most of the time but if in fact they're due to a biological problem they are not mental illnesses and if I am right that they have meaning that they have purpose that when someone tells me that God is speaking to them one of two things can be true As a not very religious individual, I don't take seriously that God is speaking to them, although I should. Maybe this person does have a pipeline to God, or that they desperately want God to speak to them that there's something going on in their life. It's the way they've been raised, their their indoctrination into religion. Uh, And I have, again, so many stories in my own book that I have written uh, about people who have heard, started to hear the voice of God. But don't tell me that this is an abnormal twitching of genes and neurons, especially if they can't be found. But if they can be found... Okay, they have a medical problem. They should be treated by neurologists or endocrinologists or real doctors and not fake doctors who make up the idea of mental illness and schizophrenia and these other terrible, terrible diagnostic categories. Don't tell me that that is without meaning. For someone to say, God speaks to me. Uh, I had a woman I worked with for over 10 years. When God was angry at her, he said all kinds of horrible things to her and how she would be punished. But when God was favorable to her and she used to write poetry, I didn't think it was very good poetry, but for her, this creative desire to put things into poetry was so important and God would tell her she was an immortal poetess and she had an expression of bliss on her face. We could say this is not logical. We could say it's not religious. It's not whatever. But don't tell me. It's meaningless. It's filled with meaning. Powerful meaning. And therefore, it's an adaptation. It's something she needs in her life. It's not an illness. However, we then judge it. It is not a medical problem. And I never went to medical school, but I, for 50 years, worked with patients, or people I called patients. I'll get to that a little later. The whole nomenclature, psychotherapy, patient, treatment, these are all medical terms. That should be ended. In my own writing, I put quotations around them to show the metaphorical nature of these issues. Kelly now has other things in this, uh, this story because she becomes very critical of this primacy of the chemical imbalance theory and the fact that it leads to uh, uh, no longer psychotherapy, no longer talk therapy, but after 12 or so minutes, the writing of a prescription of brain disabling drugs. And that's how they work. And by the way, If, in fact, there is no real illness here, these drugs are not real medicines. Penicillin for strep throat is a real medicine because it targets the bacteria that cause the inflammation in the throat. If, in fact, there is nothing wrong with the brain of the individual, it's just adaptive behavior that is troubling to the person, to their family, to society then we're shutting down the capacity of the individual to think and feel about these things, and we're not doing anything to cure or actually treat the problem. Raises complex issues. What do you do with somebody living on the street in filth because they don't have a place to live, and and they keep hearing voices that tell them that they're scum and they shouldn't be alive? It's a complex issue. If the drugs work, fine. I'm not against drugs by the way. I had two very nice delicious glasses of sauvignon blanc last night before and during dinner. Made me very happy. But it's not medicine, just a drug. And the medicine of that drug of the, of my wine reduces my capacity even if I watch the news. A feeling the anxiety I normally now feel when I turn on the news and discover <laughs> what we're doing to ourselves as a society, what we're doing to, to the helpless of society, what we're doing to the very world we live in, I can't feel it. It's not because I lacked alcohol in my brain before I did the drinking. It's that the alcohol disables my ability to feel the fear and anxiety and loathing. That comes up into me when I listen to the news. So no such thing as mental illness. I take that as a given. These are not treatments. When I talk to somebody, it's not a treatment. In my book, I explore the idea, take very seriously, because I taught for as many years as I did psychotherapy. I was a college professor. I took very seriously the notion that it's a form of education person has to learn things. Otherwise, you get trapped. And one of the terrible traps is the idea, I am mentally ill. For many, many years, I worked at Flushing Hospital in New York, their mental health clinic. And in the 1970s, they deinstitutionalized the um, hospital system in New York, and we became the outpatient clinic for Uh, discharged so-called schizophrenic seriously disturbed individuals for Queens or that area of Queens and uh, I was by by my education terribly afraid to work with anybody who's going to be called uh, schizophrenic Uh, they can't be worked with, they're too sick what I found is that these individuals were no different than any other individuals, they had been terrified by life They were struggling with all kinds of difficulties. And when I began to work with them, I could see the adaptive meaning behind what were so-called symptoms. This was the best this individual can do under the entire circumstances of their life, which includes their brain structure, which includes their genetic makeup, which includes all of the socioeconomic contexts in which they grew up. They were not sick, but they used to say to me, I am a schizophrenic about themselves, and that was horrifying, because instead of saying, I have schizophrenia, it was created, I am schizophrenic. The very essence of their identity as a human being had been created as a disease. Incurable, especially now when they were being told this is because their brains are malfunctioned in some permanent way, they're they're caught. They're caught. Ten years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. The doctor looked at me, put his arms on my shoulder, and very sympathetically said, You have cancer. By the way, I've been cured. It's 10 years now. I am symptom-free. Very happily, I can talk to you. He did not say, you are cancer. No doctor, real doctor, would ever say to a patient, you are an ulcer. You are cancer. You are diabetes. (laughs) You have these things. You're still you. And now you have to find treatment or a way of dealing with the consequences of this disease. But you're still a human being who is not defective. And when we convince people that they are a disease, one that I'm trying to get you to see doesn't exist, what we have done to them is ineb- in unbelievable damage. Permanent damage unless they could step out of this whole stupid stinking system. Now, I want to read a paragraph where Kelly, Maria Korduki, is trapped still. She has convinced herself that she does not necessarily have a chemical imbalance. But she writes, Internalizing my diagnoses as inscriptions of emotional destiny also alleviated my sense of personal blame for the inability to will away my black dogs. When the drugs failed to deliver the cure I'd been promised, I didn't de- dare reveal my shameful secret that maybe the issue wasn't just with chemicals in my brain, but a bad and broken me. Hey, this is a trap. Hey, I am a schizophrenic. Well... I've worked with people for over 50 years, and I've heard things a person would say, and a huge number of the people I saw through my life would very often start out the, the, the sessions together with, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Hold a second. There's somebody ringing my bell. My wife will hear from me from leaving her key home. Okay. Uh, Where was I? Yes. When an individual thinks of themselves in terms of being a good person or a bad person, they're caught in a trap. Because what they're doing is judging the essence of themselves. There are no good people and there are no bad people. But there are people who do things that can be judged to be bad, and people who do things who, that can be judged to be good. In other words, and I won't go through all the, the logic here, that we don't have a mind, but that the mind is activity. Everything psychological is an activity. It's not a thing. It's not nouns. With adjectives that describe it, it's verb with adverbs. The fact that I do something bad doesn't mean that tomorrow I can't make restitution or do something good. I don't know what Kelly did to think she was a bad and broken person. But she's trapped as long as she feels that way. I don't think she does. I want to go to the last paragraph of her paper. I think that... that she may have extricated herself from that. But there are no good people or bad people. It's what we do, and what we do needs to be described, not judged, because judging somebody, something doesn't describe it. Describing it helps explain it. Describing the behavior and the context See, how she writes it, oh, in a minute I'll talk about that. You put things in context, suddenly allows you to see the story from another whole perspective. Over the years, the people who told me they were good people, and then would show me, tell me how they deal with their children. And, and at one point I had a, two parents, I said to colleagues, the only way I can help the kid in this family is to hire the mafia to kill the parents. What they were doing to the child was in the name of goodness. It's how they were treated. But in these systems, I call them authoritarian systems, people are labeled, and the label becomes the explanation for the behavior. Right? Over the years, I, I worked with a, depressed, a woman who was the most depressed person I'd ever met whose mother referred to her continually as the abortion that failed, a person whose parents referred to him as we shit you out. In other words, they had been degraded with these terms, and it now seemed natural to degrade their child. But once you've internalized the idea that you're a bad and broken me, what do you do? Because behavior can be changed. But something that you think of as the essence of your identity can't be changed. I always listen with interest. I'm not a very religious person. When somebody talks about we are all sinners, no, I am not a sinner. I've committed sins. I have. I won't tell anybody about what they might be. Uh, and I don't think of them as religious things. I've done wrong things. I've lied. I've done things. But that doesn't mean I am a liar. I have throughout my book discussions about students who were didn't learn well. They're stupid. They're retarded. They're learning disabled. On the other hand, you do well on your SATs. You're on your way to college, which is a wonderful thing. You're brilliant, you're a genius. These are nice labels, but they don't explain why someone learns more quickly than somebody else, and it certainly doesn't explain what this individual might need to be a better learner. What do I have to do as a teacher? All right. Okay, let's see what I was. You know what, I think I have covered what I want to cover. There's one more thing. Uh, the story ends in a very nice way. Let me read the last uh, paragraphs. Uh, I don't mean to say that the current system doesn't offer some hope, at least for those with the means to pursue it. Now in my early 30s, writes Kelly, I remain firmly entangled in the American mental health care apparatus. Although, on my own terms, I see a therapist, which I'm now in the fortunate position to be able to pay for out of pocket, which means she doesn't have to be labeled by the insurance companies, a label that would follow her for the rest of her life. I manage medications with a psychiatrist and purchase pills with some coverage from insurance. I also make a daily priority to get at least some light exercise, whether a walk or a jog or a bicycle commute. I maintain a regular yoga practice. I do that too. Not as regular, but it's a wonderful thing, yoga. Try to eat a balanced diet, get enough sleep, read constantly. I can't tell people enough. That reading, good literature, reading science, reading stuff that's just fun and interesting is one of the best things anybody can do to live a life uh, that's pleasurable, meaningful, and in which they learn. Uh, Work to nurture social connections and build community. All of these I've learned and I can do to maintain my emotional and psychological well-being. And the key word here is maintain. It's about process, not prognosis. That's all any of us can do, by the way, the best we can do from day to day. Rather than view my psychological experience as a biologically faded roller coaster, I've come to think of my mental health as a reflection of the complex ebbs and flows of life. I've developed tools to better mitigate that which I can't control, an agency I once wouldn't have imagined possible. Sure. If you've been told you are a schizophrenic, you are an anorectic, you are a mentally ill individual, it's your essence, or that you're bad, a piece of shit, you shouldn't have been born, all the non-medical terminology that people are, are all over have to struggle with, um, you, you can't feel it as you're an agent able to change the behaviors that got you into trouble. And which by the way, these behaviors really are the best that person could do given the circumstances that created their emotional pain in the first place. I once I feel for the first time like a person <coughs> who belongs to the world. Uh, she's on her way. I wish I knew her. Uh, I belong to an organization, by the way, for those of you listening Called ISEPP, International Society for Ethical Psychiatry and Psychology. Used to be called ICSPP, International, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you go online to psychintegrity.org, you'll have a wonderful time. Uh, looking and finding out people who more or less have my belief, although many of them still argue whether psychotherapy or drugs is the better treatment, because many people have difficulty giving up the notion that mental illness itself doesn't exist. That when I talk to an individual called a patient, I'm not doing anything medical. I'm trying to help them understand the difference between judging themselves and describing themselves. Understand the difference between having a mind and being a mind, having an imagination and using imagination. It's not not what we have, it's what we do. So, you know what? I'm going to put you back online. I'm sorry, what's your name again? Hello? Hello? Hello.
1: I had to unmute myself. Thank you. Oh.
0: Yes. So, what do you think so far?
1: What's your name again? I'm well, sorry. I think th- uh, my name is Julie. My name is Julie, and I live in Pennsylvania. Um, okay, I, Julie. What do, you th- totally, totally what do you think about, you think about what, what I'm totally saying agree. here? <laughs> I totally huh? agree. I think I totally agree, and I feel that there is a logical disconnect when people start to believe that they have a chemical imbalance since there's no, it's never shown to them there's no test. And I I, I know the process I went through before I started believing it. Um, I was 35, I was a patient for 35 years and I'm an ex-patient now. But um, during that time, I, I, you know, I grew up at the time when you spoke of as, you know, 60s and 70s when we really, didn't know anything about mental illness. It didn't seem to exist, really. And if somebody was sad or having problems in school, what we did was we talked to that person our, as friends. And that was the solution. Right. Just go them Yes. By the way, but, yes. the more, more friends
0: somebody them. has who could support them, you see, but friends very often lack just the kind of information I'm talking about. You'll say to a friend, I'm a bad person. They'll say, no, no, you're a good person which doesn't resolve the belief that on some level your essence is either good or bad. Goodness or badness, to me, is based upon what you do and what you do to change or correct that which is bad. So you do more, which is that which is good. You think? So I don't remember uh, any of
1: my friends ever complaining they were bad people. They would say they were depressed or struggling in school yes. or something like that.
0: Yes, 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 yes. I understand way, that
1: either way, um, the way I got into the mental illness system was, uh, I made a stupid mistake of going on a diet and then I got kind of hooked and so I was suffering from malnutrition and, um, that made me depressed. But anyway, I ended up at one point deciding that therapy wasn't doing me any good because therapy isn't going to fix something. that's really a nutritional problem. (laughs) And, um, I went into the state treatment program, and it was like that, that program in New York you mentioned, that yeah. people had come out of the state hospital. And it was a total mismatch because I was a college student. I was just about to graduate, and somehow I just didn't quite belong there. But either okay. way, that's where I first heard mental illness. And people were vaguely talking about chemical imbalances, and they were seeing these words like bipolar or manic depressive. Right. And they said, What's that? You What's know, the history,
0: that? The history of that is very interesting. Because what happened is that the psychologists got uh, full status as therapists, which took work away from the psychiatrists. And then the social workers came into the field, and they got full status. So, what the psychiatrists did. Uh, to get the field back, was do this end run. And instead of saying that uh, these problems are due to environment or social interaction or belief systems, they're due to chemical imbalance. And the money came from the big drug companies, because this has made them very wealthy, convincing people that all unhappiness can be cured with a pill, which, which is... Uh, very popular today. I don't have to take care of my life. I don't have to read, do yoga, maintain social relationships. All I do is take a pill. And of course, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Now, drugs can make you feel better, but they're not medicines, they're just drugs. Anyway, um, how are you doing now? Did you graduate college?
1: I did. I went back uh, when I was 40. I finished undergraduate, summa cum laude. I went on to graduate school, finished that, and they still said, claimed I was mentally ill. And that's now, everybody,
0: by hard. the way, when I say what I'm saying, it proves I'm mentally ill. When anybody, many people hear me say this. Uh, I'm crazy yeah, for think, saying this. they say there's no such thing it as it mental does. illness. So what, I mean, what degree, was, is? what, what did you does. get your degree in, Uh
1: uh, create Creative writing, and I'm coming out with a book soon about lithium.
0: You are. What's the name of the book?
1: Life after lithium.
0: Life after what?
1: Life after lithium.
0: Oh there's, wow. There's another
1: book by that name, but um, it doesn't seem to have uh, sold too many copies, so I think I'm safe. I mean, you can't copyright a title, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've you a have bunch a publisher. Books, but this this one. Yeah, I, well, I'm gonna self. I choose to self-publish. I don't want to be. Yeah, I did. Of it. By the way,
0: I had four books, five books that I published through through regular publishers. This one that I just wrote, psychotherapy and the stories we live by, I, I couldn't really get a publisher. They all wanted me to have uh, somebody bring it in for me. Have a uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? I keep losing agent. words. An agent. agent, yeah. So what yeah. I did was I found. Two of my colleagues in, in ICSPP had published books uh, with somebody called BookBaby, bookbaby.com. And it cost a couple of dollars, but it, they did a gorgeous job. Beautiful, beautiful job. Very professional. So if you want to go by self-publishing, give them a call. They're really wonderful. I don't, and, and I won't make yeah, any I'm money.
1: Gonna, I'm going to go, go through Amazon. Um, but anyway.
0: Um, uh, well, good luck with it. I
1: um. Yeah, th- th- thank you. I the, the logical conclusion that I came to was finally what, they were just playing around. They didn't know what they were doing at all. They didn't acknowledge what my real problems were, and finally they, they gave me a lithium pill. And by some weird quirk, it cured my eating disorder temporarily, at least, you know, long enough for me to believe it was working. And then right. retroactively... They finally diagnosed me at well first schizophrenic. There's no evidence for that, and then bipolar. It was it was retroactive. It was two years after I started lithium. They called me bipolar, (laughs) and um, there there was no I'd never been manic, and yeah yeah I get I would get depressed, but uh, depressed because
0: we all get depressed, you know.
1: know. The therapy wasn't working. I was on a whole bunch of inappropriate drugs. And um, you know, I, I was sluggish. Obviously, you know, you're on seven pills; you're gonna be sluggish.
0: Oh, and
1: um, you want to call that depression? Call that depression? And every now and then, I, I would accomplish something, and they said they claimed that was mania. Yeah, that's time right.
0: I, Let me ask you: yeah, Have I, I done anything? today, said anything today that to convinced you that mental illness actually doesn't exist? That what we're dealing don't with is... I
1: mental illness. Did. I mean, I know now that mental illness doesn't exist. But, yes, not um, literally exists. I, sure. oh, I, sure. I, I don't believe there is such thing as mental illness. I have believed that since uh, around 2013. That's okay. when I started realizing. There was, I, there was never anything wrong with me. There was, you know, I think in around... 2012, I had this new therapist, I didn't keep her, but she said to me, okay, so tell me, what are your limitations? And I couldn't think of any, because I had just finished graduate school. And I was right. like, uh, of course, all humans have limitations. We are limited as human beings, but I couldn't think of anything extraordinary that limited me in any way. And, I, and nowadays, if people ask me, I say, "Well, I need a step stool as an accommodation to reach the highest shelf. I'm short." Good for how you. about you? Good for you?
0: But you see how interesting that question is. What are your limitations, rather than what do you do well, what do you enjoy doing? Of course. It's all based upon the search for what the pathology, what the damage is. You see, and it's 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 a story that gets you trapped, and it's it's just a terrible story. Anyway, I think.
1: 35 yeah. years, that's a trap. Yeah. It's a law, oh, that could long, it could be lifelong.
0: Are you enjoying your life now? Very much. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I really am. You sound very young, <laughs> but given your history, uh, <laughs> I'm you're no so longer not, a teenager.
1: People say that to me. Yeah, I am just immature. That's
0: it. Another <laughs> label.
1: Yeah, I say, that, I say that I say that to people because I, I do telephone work for my job and when they say it to me I just say I'm immature and that gets a laugh out of them so it lightens up the conversation.
0: Uh, okay. Anyway, I'm going to stop the broadcast now. No one else has called in. And I think really? I've said what I wanted to say. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Ah, thank you.
0: And I wish you good luck.
1: Thank you, thank you for the show. I just didn't even know about it. I just found out about
0: it. Thank you. Yeah, well, I have, you know, the a lot of broadcasts have been archived, so that uh, anytime you want to delve in, you can go in. I, you know, but then again, what I've said today, I tend to say a lot. Uh, anyway, that's great. Thank you for calling, and I'm going to say good afternoon. Thank you. Bye. Okay, is there anybody else listening who might want to call in? The guest call-in number is 646-716-7756. And I gave myself an hour for this show, and I can't talk any more than I've talked. Uh, I would love to really meet Kelly Maria and have a conversation with her. She's a person that I think I would enjoy knowing and speaking with. Um, just to finish, the, uh, my book puts uh, is called Psychotherapy and the Stories We Live By. Because I believe that good therapy is a talking situation in which you learn to examine how the life story, your beliefs, your moral beliefs, and your uh, factual truths—not only what they are, but how they're structured. Do you differentiate between? Uh, judgments and descriptions can you describe yourself without judging yourself or other people um, and, and it's a very traditional i didn't I'm not setting out to uh, to create a new therapy uh, there are too many gurus around uh, where, who invent the therapy of the week I'm very traditional although I'm not working now I'm really fully retired uh, but um, I do feel that we have to get rid of All words like uh, psychotherapy, patient, diagnosis, illness, disturbance, uh, 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 therapy, treatment, um, a really good discussion between uh, two human beings in a democratic way uh, where uh, the individual who's called the patient really creates the curriculum uh, and, and the therapist, the person called the therapist, Uh, helps guide the discussion so that new skills are learned and new insights into the kind of traps I talked about today uh, emerge Uh, and and gives people uh, an opening to become, as Kelly puts it, uh, an agent of change in their own life. Otherwise, it's hopelessness and helplessness and self-hatred and anger directed outward and inward. And that's, is no good. Okay, I think I've done my job for today. Uh, I'm going to go watch the end of a golf game that I missed yesterday. I think I know who won, uh, but what the hell. So, good night. I'm going to end my episode.